Father, as we come before your presence, let nothing perturb us. Let nothing frighten us, because all things will pass. But God, you never change. And so, Father, we come before you, and we thank you that you never change. Give us the patience to wait upon you, and not to be terrified by the things that happened around us. Because they soon will pass. So, Lord God, as we come to you, we want to learn from you. Give us the faith to trust in you. And Father, we thank you that your faith that you have given us is often nurtured through the preaching of the word, that our faith grows during these times. So Father, as we come to your holy word this morning, we pray that our faith will grow again as we again expound on your word. May this just be more than just a time of listening, but may you do your work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, take these moments and work in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I once heard a pastor talking about the time before he came to know Christ. As a teenager, he was an atheist. However, one day he became very sick. And as he was struggling in pain, this, pa this, former, this pastor looked out the window of his bedroom and, and, and he shouted to God, God, if you are real, can you please strike down the tree that is outside my window? A few days later, there was a thunderstorm and the tree was indeed struck down by lightning. The, this man calmed to believe on his knees? No. In fact, he became more and more adamant in his unbelief. Later, he decided to, to pursue a doctorate degree, a PhD degree, and he wanted to write on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to prove through his research that the whole resurrection was a hoax, that it was just a lie. And he was more and more keen to disprove the Christian faith. However, it is through his own research while he was pursuing his PhD as he reread and reread through the biblical texts and the secondary literature that surrounds the resurrection, he finally was convicted by God and came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and opened up his heart during his time working on his dissertation. But what unraveled me is that this man, who is now a pastor, once saw the great and miraculous work of God. But did that lead him to Christ? And the surprising answer is no. Many a times we do ask God for miracles. But does it really change us? We ask God for miracles. Like, God, can you provide us with a job right now? And I will follow you forever. Or oh God, can you show Uncle, uh, can you heal Uncle George of his illness so that he may know that there is a living God? But do miracles really change us? Not necessarily. You don't have to look very far, but to the ministry of Jesus. Depending on how you count in the four Gospels, Jesus performed at least 37 miracles 
I mean, some of these miracles are in a class of its own. I mean, how often do you see a dead man being raised from the dead? Deaf people hearing, blind people seeing for the first time, and Peter walking on water. I mean, these are first-class miracles so difficult to disprove. Unlike healing of somebody's backache or headache, which is, which is so hard to verify, these miracles that Jesus performed were very, really obvious. Yet, did the crowds come to faith? By the time Good Friday rolls around, the crowds were shouting repeatedly, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! King Nebuchadnezzar, in the book of Daniel, had also witnessed a great miracle. Unfortunately, this great miracle did not change him, did it? In the second chapter of the book of Daniel, we are told that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a dream. No one throughout the kingdom could tell the king what the dream was, lest to even interpret the dream. Only after pleading with God for mercy, the prophet Daniel could. And the dream speaks about the statue which, uh, which represents Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the golden head of the statue and the other kingdoms that will follow. And the dream tells of a time when God will destroy the statue and set up his own mountain. We would expect after hearing this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar would be on his knees shivering and begging God in, uh, for forgiveness and mercy. But is this what happened? Did the miracle of the dream really change the king? If you look at this text in our scripture reading for this morning, you'll find that it did not do anything to change him for the good. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 3 verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Instead of repenting, King Nebuchadnezzar built an entire statue of gold. In, the, in his dream, he only, uh, he, he only saw a statue uh, of a golden head which represents him. But now after waking up from uh, uh, his dream, he built an entire statue made of gold. And we are told... Here in verse 1, that the image of gold was 60 cubits high. Is that significant? If you remember 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 2, you will know that 60 cubits is not just any number, but it's the number of what? It's the length of the temple, the Jerusalem temple that King Solomon built. The statue was not just a monument, but it was built for worship. Just like the temple was built for worship. Instead of repenting, now King Nebuchadnezzar wants a golden statue that represents him. And he wants people to worship him. This shows how depraved the human heart is. Even in the face of miracles, our hearts are so depraved, so calloused and destroyed by sin and overwhelmed by sin, that by our own strength, it is impossible 
to come to repentance. Unless God works in us, it is impossible for human beings to even grasp the grace of God and the goodness of God. In Reformed theology, we call this the doctrine of the total depravity of man. We are so overwhelmed by sin, but of our own strength, we cannot come to repentance. We need God's help. The prophet Isaiah puts it even in a more creative way. He says that the human heart in chapter 6 verse 10 is so hardened that the heart is fattened and all its arteries are filled with fat. And the Hebrew word that he uses is hasman, which means that the whole heart is filled with fat. Our hearts are so, our arteries are so overwhelmed with with sin. It's just like a heart being overwhelmed with impenetrable fat is like. And that's why our hearts can't respond to God. But what will our hearts do? What will a fattened heart, a heart that is fattened with its arteries blocked by sin, do? Two things of this passage. A fatty heart will lead to the idolatry of the self. Why is it dangerous? Because it will lead to the idolatry of the self. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3 verse 2. He then summoned, he referring to Nebuchadnezzar, then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provision officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had just set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, and all other provisional officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of all languages, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, la, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a burning furnace. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. King Nebuchadnezzar not only built this statue of gold, that represents, that looks like a, a temple. He wants all people to come to worship him, to bow down before this statue. Everyone who is somebody in Babylon, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provision officials of Babylon were told to bow down to the king. And three times we are told that the whole coalition of Whoever is important in Babylon was summoned to bow down to the king and the king's statue. This is what a fatty heart that is being overwhelmed by sin does to us. It wants people to worship us. 
it sets up the idolatry of the self. You don't have to teach, for instance, a tiny child, um, and you don't have to give a seminar of how to be selfish. Babies learn that by themselves. Little children learn that by themselves. And they perfect the art of selfishness in record time. Why? Because our hearts are fatty. Its arteries are being blocked by sin. Nebuchadnezzar literally just ignored the dream. And he wants people now to worship him and bow down to his statue. But what about Daniel? I mean, Daniel actually told the king the dream and heard the dream. But Daniel was actually one who actually paid attention to the dream. The dream says that God was not, about, not only about to destroy the statue that represents all human kingdoms. In its place, what will God do? God will set up a mountain where people of all places, of all over the world, will come and learn from Him. Daniel actually believed in the dream itself. How do I know that? Look with me here at Daniel chapter 2 verse 49. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the providence of Babylon, where Daniel himself remained at the royal court. After Daniel explained to the king the dream, Daniel requested that his three friends were to be sent all over Babylon so that they can invite people throughout the kingdom to God's mountain. Unlike the king who only wanted people to come to him and bow down to him and his statue, that's what sin does to us. Sin draws attention to our own selves, make us idols of our own selves. But not Daniel. Daniel actually believed in what God will do. That God will one day set up his mountain and people of all nations will flock to God. And here Daniel puzzles out his friends, sends his friends out into the kingdom of Babylon to prepare for the coming of God. So let's bring this to ourselves. Who do we serve? Do we actually serve God? Or are we like King Nebuchadnezzar, who loves to exalt himself? For years, the 19th century Scottish preacher and pastor, Robert Mari McShane had been praying for revival for his church. But revival never came to Scotland until 1839 when the Robert Mari McShane was on a sabbatical and during his sabbatical of eight months he went to Israel. You see when Robert Mari McShane was away he arranged for a substitute preacher to fill his pulpit. The substitute's name was William Burns. William Burns was no preacher. He was, although he was the son of a pastor, he was roughed and a very tumble type of a farmer. But there was something about William Burns that whenever he preached, you could feel the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. As if God was speaking right out of his mouth. There was someone who actually heard Burns, William Burns preach, as well as 
Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And this person says that Burns had a stronger voice than even Spurgeon himself. This is quite remarkable because we know that Charles Haddon Spurgeon was not only one of the best preachers in Europe and across England during his time, but he had such a booming voice that without a microphone, 5,000 people in his metropolitan tabernacle could hear him preach. And they could hear him preach as if he was standing right in front of them. Spurgeon was a dynamic, a booming voice preacher. And someone once said that William Burns had an even stronger voice than Spurgeon. But, and it was during the ministry of William Burns, as he was a substitute preacher, the church in Dundee, Scotland was revived. It not only ex grew exponentially, but the numbers of people who actually showed up for their prayer meetings blossomed. And the news got to Robert Murray McShane. He was at this time in Syria in, during his sabbatical. Imagine if you were Robert Ma Andrew Murray, uh, um, Robert Murray McShane. How would you feel? Revival came to your church. You've been praying for revival. Revival came to your church, but it was not under your leadership. It came during the preaching of a nobody, an unqualified substitute preacher called William Burns. Will you be happy or will you be jealous? It depends on who your God is. It depends on who the idol is in your life. If you, the idol in your life is God, you would be happy. But if the idol in your life is yourself, you'll be burning with jealousy and anger. And you will do all things to quench William Burns. Robert Murray McShane's God was not himself, but was God, the Lord of the Maker himself. And this is what Robert Murray McShane says about the entire fiasco. He says this, I sometimes think that a great blessing may come to my people in my absence. Often God does not bless us when we are in the midst of our labors, lest we say my hand and my eloquence have done it. He removes us into silence and then he pours down a blessing so that there is not room enough to receive it, so that all who see it will cry out, it is, it is the Lord. Who is the God of your life? Who do you live to exalt? Yourself or God and His purposes? Secondly, why is a fatty heart so fatal? Not only does it exalt oneself, but number two, a fatty heart will make devastating sacrifices. A fatty heart will make devastating sacrifices. King Nebuchadnezzar not only wanted people to bow to him, but he gave very specific instructions of how the worship of his golden statue would run. Look with me here at verse 4 in chapter 3 of Daniel. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 3 of Daniel. 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the la, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. It is very interesting that the people who do not bow down will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But before that, before the people who do not bow down uh, will be thrown into the famous into the furnace, what happens? There will be music coming from different instruments, six instruments here, six different instruments. And these instruments are mentioned four times in this chapter alone. What's going on? In Aramaic as well as Hebrew languages, there are no adjectives. So in order to emphasize the importance of something, you have to say it a number of times. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, Isaiah wants to emphasize the fact that God is very, 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 very holy. So he doesn't say God is very holy. There are no adjectives in that sense. Rather, what Isaiah does is that he repeats the word holy, holy, holy three times in order to emphasize that God is holy. Likewise, here in Daniel chapter 3, in order to emphasize that the music before the worship uh, is very loud, what Daniel does is that he repeats and, and gives the number of instruments and there's a build-up to signify that the music is very loud formed by many instruments and repeated at least four times. Why? Why does Daniel wants to put this emphasis on this loud music? Is this a kind of a rock concert that's happening? Not really. A few hundred years ago, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about this event. Isaiah says that not, all, not everyone who has heard the voice of God will return to the Lord. They will have fatty hearts, hearts filled with fat, fat of unbelief. And what will they do? They will continue to worship other gods. In Isaiah chapter 30, the prophet prophesied about time where people will continue to worship other gods, just like the people of old during the time of Israel, when they will go to Topheth, to worship, like that the kings of Judea will go to Topath to worship. What happened to Topath? It's when the kings, especially King Manasseh, would go and they will take their own children and they will throw these children into a fiery furnace and offer these children as sacrifices to their gods. Why? Because their hearts are hardened. Their hearts are filled with fat of sin. And they would not worship the true gods, but they will worship other gods. And they will make unnecessarily and devastating sacrifices. They will take their children and throw them in. And Isaiah says that as they throw these children in, what does Isaiah chapter 30 says? As they throw these children in, they will create loud music. Why? Because when you throw children into a fiery furnace, what will happen? 
they will scream and they will cry and they will shout. And in order to drown out the horror of child sacrifice, what's often done is that they will up the music so that you will not hear the screams and the cries. What's happening here in Daniel chapter 3? King Nebuchadnezzar is bent on people worshipping him. And those who will not worship him, what will happen to them? They will be thrown, just like the children, into the fiery furnace. And before they are thrown into the fiery furnace, there will be loud music. Music loud enough to drown out the horror of the situation when children and people are being thrown into a furnace of fire. And this will later take place. And we'll look at this fiery furnace next week. When Daniel's three friends are being thrown into the fiery furnace. What does this have to say to us? When our fatty hearts that are filled with sin keeps on worshipping other gods. These gods will make us make unnecessarily and devastating sacrifices. What do I mean by that? Let's bring this home. The father whose work is work will devote so much time making a name for himself at his workplace that he will make devastating sacrifices by sacrificing his own precious children in the furnace called busyness. The woman who cares more about money will make devastating sacrifices when her best friend comes to her for help, when her best friend is desperate, but she will not help her because she loves money so much that she will take her best friend and burn her on the altar, on the furnace called selfishness. Sin that always comes with a price. Sin will always make us make devastating sacrifices. Just like when King Nebuchadnezzar wanted people to bow down to him. Those who don't will have to be thrown into the fiery furnace. If you make work your idol, that idol will make devastating sacrifices into your life. If you make selfishness your idol, love of money your idol, your own pride, your own sense of justice as your idol, you will take what is valuable, precious friendships, time spent with family, and you will burn them cruelly in the furnace called selfishness. So what is the solution? Sin and fatty hearts will prevent us from coming to God. By our own strength, it is impossible for us to save ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to do heart surgery for us, to clear our arteries from the fatty deposits of sin. We need to lean upon Him so that we can have a clean and lean hearts. So what do we do? 
we need to throw ourselves at the feet of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and ask God to work and ask the Spirit to work in our hearts, to draw us to Jesus so that He will topple the idols at Topeth. That will not just be our children being thrown into the fiery furnace, but will be the idols that will be thrown into the fiery furnace. So that our hearts will be enlarged and that we will not just be serving ourselves, but we will be serving others. Just like Daniel's friends, telling others and seeing the potential in others and encouraging others. Because Robert Murray McShane's heart was not on himself, but on the glory and the kingdom of God. He could have quenched William Burns. could have silenced William Burns as the pastor of the church. But he did not do that. Rather, he encouraged this young man. Rather, he rejoiced in the gifts of this young man and let the kingdom of God flourish through William Burns. We can allow sin to either expand the kingdom and the work of God or we can be so selfish that it's all about us that we quenched the work of God, that we pay no attention to the potential of people around us, the friendships around us. One of the reasons why I love Victorian preacher Charles Evans Spurgeon is that though he was the pastor of a mega church in London, he always made time to develop long-lasting relationships. This is because Spurgeon's heart was not on himself and about his own ministry alone, but his heart was upon the kingdom of God. He saw his own ministry as more than just serving his own ego, but by building relationships, allowing God's kingdom to thrive in the lives of other people too. So one of the most unlikely friends of Spurgeon, that's often not talked about, is a freed slave, um, free African slave by the name of Thomas Johnson. Thomas Johnson was a black man born into slavery in the Virginia tobacco plantation in the U.S. But he was eventually uh, free and he came to London to do more schooling. He enrolled himself in Spurgeon's College at this time. He wanted to become a missionary to Africa. And the night when that he came to Spurgeon's College, he met Charles Spurgeon. And Johnson was the first person to actually come up to Spurgeon and challenge Spurgeon. He saw some points of weakness in Spurgeon's life and he had the audacity to challenge the prince of preachers. Charles Spurgeon was not only um, unhurt by this whole incident, but he was in fact uh, uh, you know, proud of this man that was able to confront him. And so the two became friends that night. And they became very good friends. But they were the most unlikely pair of friends. Spurgeon was a white Englishman. And Johnson was a black man from Virginia. Spurgeon was a famous preacher known for his great oratorial skills. And Johnson was just a free slave who was only beginning to read and write. And yet the two became such good friends and close friends that they began to learn from each other. They became so close that when Johnson was uh, f uh, graduated from college, from Spurgeon's college, 
he went to Africa to become a missionary. It was said that Spurgeon would send money constantly to finance Johnson's ministry in Africa. And on the, on the year that, King, uh, that uh, Charles Spurgeon died, Johnson came back and was one of the last few to be by Spurgeon's side, watching Spurgeon and was one of the few to see Spurgeon taking his last breath. The two developed a long-lasting friendship. How did that happen? Spurgeon's philosophy of ministry was not about himself. was not about making a kingdom of glorification for himself. His idol was not himself, but always the kingdom of God. And when your heart is set on God and not on yourself, you will always have time. You will always have a heart that is so sensitive that you're always on the lookout to befriend, to help, to encourage, to see the potential of others that could be used by God in God's kingdom. That's not something King Nebuchadnezzar had. But that was something Daniel had. Daniel's heart was not just on himself. His heart was on God's work throughout Babylon. It is why he, even in when he was a captive, was able to let his three friends be appointed to go all across the kingdom of Babylon to encourage them to be great ambassadors for God's work. Let's come before Him and let Him do heart surgery in our lives this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You this morning, we realize, Father, that we desperately need Your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. Our hearts are so filled with sin that Isaiah calls our hearts fatty hearts, hearts filled with the fat of rebellion. Father, we need your Holy Spirit to melt our hearts, to soften our hearts, to clear our hearts, that we will not build idols of ourselves, statues of worship, just for ourselves, but we will look to the kingdom of God. That will look to others in the kingdom of God and develop friendships, develop to have a heart of mentoring, to have a heart for others, a heart that wants to build others up for your kingdom. Father, we live in a culture that doesn't value friendships. Many people are by themselves, that we only care and care for our own selves and our own ministries, our own families. That we do not no longer have hearts that want to reach out to people who are different than us. So Father, we pray that you will melt us. That you will do heart surgery in our lives. That we will have a heart that worship the King of Kings rather than ourselves. So Father, we just pray that you do your work in us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.